welcome to the Reading for Success podcast brought to you by the Success League. This podcast focuses on books, articles, and other resources for customer success, provides an overview of each, and gives you an honest assessment of whether or not it's worth your time. Hi, my name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Reading for Success. I'm also the CEO of the Success League, a boutique customer success consulting and training firm based in San Francisco. This week, we're continuing our deep dive of Chief Customer Officer 2.0 by Gene Bliss with a review of chapters six and seven. This is a wrap-up of the five key points of her book. I'm also reviewing a short article from hbr.org about negotiation. So let's get rolling. My article of the day is called To Succeed in a Negotiation, Help Your Counterpart to Save Face, and this is by Joshua Weiss. This article was published on October 2nd, 2020 on hbr.org. It's a relatively short article, but includes a number of great examples. So what is this about? The author talks about the importance of saving face in negotiations and gives several diverse examples about how saving face saved the day, including a human rights negotiation, a suicide attempt, and a business dispute. So how is this related to customer success? Here's the deal. Negotiation is a part of persuasion, and persuasion comes into customer success in a variety of ways. You might need to talk to somebody about renewing their contract. You might need to get a customer to change their processes. You might have to negotiate pricing on a renewal. All of this is negotiation, and that's a skill that is critical to customer success. So Anything you can learn about customer negotiation is important to our field. So my key takeaways were this. The author's main point is highlighted in each of the three examples. Saving face is often an important but possibly hidden part of negotiation. He explains that face is the public self-image that every member of society wants to claim for him or herself. The examples clearly demonstrate different facets of saving face inside of a negotiation. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I like practical applications of the concepts from books and articles. This one has a great list toward the end of the article for how to manage the idea of face inside of a negotiation. The author lists the steps as number one, recognizing the critical role that face plays in negotiations. Two, asking yourself if the solutions you're proposing will cause a loss of face for either party. Three, mapping out all of the players in a negotiation and recognizing that saving face may be even more important if the primary negotiator has to take that solution back to their team. And four, when a hidden agenda or problem arises inside a negotiation, consider that saving face may be the source of the problem. As a side note, (laughs) and this is just for fun, if you like cute animals, and I'm going to say in the middle of COVID-19, if you don't like cute animals, you're dead inside. Um, There is a really adorable photo on this article of a fox and a hen, and it's very cute. And yes, if you just want to send me puppy pictures, I will take them all day long. So is this article worth your time? Yes, this is a quick read. So if you're in customer success and you're involved in negotiations, and that is probably most of you, just take a few minutes and read this article. It'll give you some interesting insights. That said, 
Um, the list I just gave you was the heart of the article. So if you literally don't have five minutes, you can skip this one and just take my advice. Saving face is a big part of negotiation and don't forget it. Today, I'm going to be tackling chapters six and seven of Chief Customer Officer 2.0 by Jean Bliss. Uh, these two chapters wrap up the five competencies that she focuses on in this book. So what is this section about? Chapter six covers the fourth competency, proactive experience, reliability, and innovation. This section talks about how to build out proactive customer experience measures in order to drive positive change before negative feedback hits your surveys. Chapter seven is about competency five, one company leadership, accountability, and culture. Bliss argues in this chapter that in order for the entire program to stick, it can't just be a customer manifesto. The company needs proof that this works and the leaders need to provide it. So what do I agree with here? My favorite quote in this whole section of the book is, quote, make customer experience development as important as product development, unquote. Amazing. Most SaaS companies I've worked for over the years would be like, what? You're crazy. That said, the best companies we've ever worked with at the Success League have a tight connection between customer feedback and the product team and focus their product development efforts on delivering an excellent customer experience. On page 147, there is a great customer story from Samir Batar, who is the director of the Office of Visitor Services for the Smithsonian Institute. His story talks about how their focused um, change efforts were on first-time visitors, and they explored how to make their experience better for those folks. In their case, they focused on both physical and process changes, and they ended up adding a visitor center. And what that made me think about is, what is the software as a service equivalent to a visitor center? And I thought about that for a while, and maybe it's a customer community or maybe it's something else, but I think we should all be considering that. In chapter seven, I really liked the example on page 162 from Kevin Thompson of Barney's New York. This particular customer story provides a very relatable example of how their organization built a customer experience steering committee that spanned their senior leadership team. This group meets every month to talk about the customer experience, look at how the organization is engaging customers, watch videos or experience the customer's perspective, and plan out new initiatives. They keep it fresh, and they do that by changing up the format every month and weaving in new content. I think this is a great example of how a mature company can continue to focus on customer experience when it would be really easy to kind of rest on their laurels. One of my favorite parts of Chapter 7 is that it acknowledges that in order to deliver an exceptional customer experience, you also have to deliver an exceptional employee experience. There are two great Action Lab activities in this chapter, one focused on creating a code of conduct to customers and the other focused on creating a code of conduct to employees. I love this. It is all about delivering to employees what they need in order to deliver an excellent customer journey. The language that is used in this section is key. It's what must we always do to honor employees and what must we always do to never dishonor employees. Honoring customers and employees as the people who actually matter the most to a business is so important and an often forgotten concept. I love that. My only complaint about chapter seven is the idea of building a customer room. 
This isn't because I don't like the idea. It's great. And we work with several companies that have done this. My concern is that it isn't accessible for every company. And for those that this doesn't make sense for, this book doesn't really offer an alternative. Of course, Jean wrote this way before COVID-19, where we're all stuck at home and no one's going into a small room to do any work with other people right now. Um, That said, we have been a part of a global workforce for a while, and I wish she had offered some alternatives. Surely there is some sort of tool that can offer a virtual customer room or a workspace that emphasizes the customer experience. As we move away from physical offices, I'm interested in what the replacement for this physical space will become. The only other part of this chapter that was a little frustrating was the repeat at the end, um, which basically outlines everything that Bliss already outlined in the previous four chapters. While I get that this is a nice to have all in one place, I wish she had picked one or the other, put it at the end of each chapter or put it in a chapter of its own at the end of all of these five chapters. This is good content, but I don't want to have to read it twice. So readers, if you read each of the previous chapters, you can skip pages 190 to 198. So overall, is this section worth reading? Chapter six is great. If you're a CS leader, definitely read this chapter and consider the ways that you can create a proactive customer experience and ways to measure how things are going ahead of a survey. Chapter seven is dense. Um, CS leaders should focus on the action labs, which will bring the theory to life. Um, CSMs would benefit from the customer stories in both chapters. Unless you're just looking for a summary of chapters three through seven, like I said, you can skip the last nine pages of chapter seven. If you're reading along with me, next episode, I'll be wrapping up with chapters eight and nine of Chief Customer Officer 2.0. You can purchase this book on Amazon or listen to it on Audible. As I mentioned before, I'd recommend the physical book in this case because there are visuals, charts, and exercises that will help you absorb the content. Since this is a newer podcast, if you like it, please take a couple of minutes to rate it and subscribe. This really helps us get the word out. I would also love feedback on the timing, format, or content of this podcast, as well as book suggestions. Just email me at kristen at thesuccessleague.io. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join Reading for Success next time.